This is an excellent rally for the Cannonball. And oh, wow. Welcome to the Two Doc Chronicles, your one solution to all things squash. I'm Bruce Huberman with co-host Miles McIntyre, here to reveal a game with stories worth listening to. I'd like to welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 5, West Coast Squash. Are we there yet? This episode is really exciting for me, and uh, I'm sure it will be of interest to our audience. Um, we have three really, really high-quality guests. We have Michael Feldman, we have Zane Patel, and we have Charlie Johnson the director and mastermind behind the CJ Squash Academy. Guys, I'm really happy and I think we have a lot to talk about. So I'd like to welcome our guests to the Two Doc Chronicle podcast. Hey guys, uh, my name's Charlie Johnson. Uh, I'm squash director at Bay Club Robert Shaw's uh, US national coach and uh, coach to uh, Michael, uh, two kids, and uh, coach to Zayn Patel, who's currently on the podcast. Hi, my name is Michael Feldman. Uh, I'm here because I'm a parent of a junior and a former junior. Hi, I'm Zane Patel. I'm just a U.S. squash junior player. I live in California and the U.S. national champion. Guys, I'm really happy and I think we have a lot to talk about and uh, let's get going. The title for this uh, episode is West Coast Squash. Are we there yet? And this is a topic that, uh, you know, for the years that we've been, we, I mean, we've been around squash for probably, you know, 12 years. And uh, I think it was a very, very difficult thing for mo because most of the action takes place on the East Coast. And uh, so I wanted to get some sort of updates and what's going on out there and how the progress has gone. I know, I know Charlie's been out there almost 10 years and, uh, so we're going to get started. So our, our first guest uh, that we're going to introduce is Charlie Johnson. And Charles, thank you so much for uh, participating today and uh, so excited to have you on. Thanks a lot for having me, Bruce. Yeah, I've been really excited to come on. A, I'm a big fan. I've uh, followed all of your stuff. You've got a great voice, <laughs> perfect podcast voice, uh, great content. So yeah, looking forward to jump on today and talk about West Coast Squash. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very funny. Um, about three or four weeks ago, um, my sister, Pamela, who lives out in San Carlos, um, actually, you know, works out at the Bay Club. But, uh, you know, she has a yeah. daughter and the daughter really never played squash. Her husband, Brett, and they never, you know, they don't know too much about squash, except that they know their, their nephew, Morgan, uh, you know, plays. And uh, so... I guess Brett was trying to show Pamela around the Bay Club and they sort of wandered into the squash area and uh, Pamela went over, you know, to the, the business office and introduced herself. And they're like, oh, we, we know the Two Doc Chronicle podcast. And uh, so she yeah. was like bl blown away by that. And uh, all, and then, you know, a few minutes later, they're like, well, why don't we just introduce you to the director? And the funny thing was, Charlie and I had just discussed about coming on the podcast. I mean, it was, I mean, it was just an incredible coincidence. And uh, I mean, what a pleasure. And uh, 
So they, they, they met and took a picture, sent me the picture. And I was like, oh, my God, this can't be happening. It, it was just I mean, I literally I got like literally got off the phone with Charlie. And then well, my son and my sister is standing there in the club with Charlie. So it, it was pretty great. But small uh, world. It, it, it's it's a small world. But um, so, Charlie, tell us, you know, early on how you got into squash, what your pathway was as a junior and then in that now, you know, running a, a pretty large sized program in the United States. Yeah. Um, well, I was I was about 14 when I started, which is considerably late in probably American terms. <laughs> you know, uh, I skateboarded, played rugby, played cricket, played football, soccer, um, just, you know, played every sport growing up. Um, and then one day, uh, my best friend, Tim, at the time, uh, his dad was playing and uh, he, uh, he was like, I'm going to go play uh, squash with my dad today instead of going skateboarding. So I was like, all right, I'm going to come with you then. And uh, from that first day, I went for, for a little hit with Tim and never, never looked back. I literally uh, picked up a racket for the first time. And uh, then I played for two years every day consistently. Birthdays, Christmases, days I didn't go to school, still went to squash. Um, I just, it was just love at first sight. And then from there, um, started, you know, I got hooked on it straight away. And just, I probably, I probably, um, you know, got, a pretty fast trajectory up there considering I started quite late. Um, didn't have a coach until I was about 16 when the Selby family uh, ran the squash club that I was part of, Bishop Stalker Squash Club. And um, they were just an amazing family for my growth and just in every way. Um, then Lauren Selby started to coach me and Paul Selby. So I had some pretty good coaches uh, throughout there and Started to get into the England junior circuit, playing the tournaments, traveling around. Um, and then I kind of just felt like that was something I was super passionate about. And I wasn't really into school so much. So I, uh, I you know, squash was one of the only things I you know, cared about and was good at. So I was like, all right, well, let's try and make a career out of this. And I remember sitting in my dad's office and, um, and he said to me, Charlie, how are you going to pay a mortgage in your sport family playing squash. And I was like, well, I'll figure it out. And uh, that was like the chip on my shoulder, really, that drove me. Um, what is the age difference with you and Daryl? Were you... Uh... Oh, Daryl's... Uh, we got on court a fair bit when I was a little bit later, but I think there's about seven or eight years there. But Lauren was instrumental to me. Paul Selby, uh, Karen Selby, they were just awesome for me. Um, and then a couple of members at the club as well were really good to me growing up. And, you know, I play for hours and hours and hours in the dark, um, just solo. And it was so cold. There was a radiator. I'd have my balls lined up on the radiator, just back and forth, just hours and hours. And yeah, that was it. Well, I think there's, it does say something, you know, I, you know, we've discussed this on a podcast a bunch of times. It, you know, starting so young, six or seven years old, there's a big burnout that, that occurs, you know, seven or eight years later that I think, you know, when the, you know, some of the players who start out end up being, you know, at 14, 15, end up being great college players. They have all this energy. They're not, you know, fatigued from all the years that they've logged. And uh, so, you know, I think at 14 is, is, I don't think too old, but, you know. No, I'm, I'm grateful for that, for that uh, later start. Cause it gave me a lot more passion 
kind of now when I'm coming into it, so so many things are still new and I'm still learning or still going back. But then when I was, yeah, I went pro when I was uh, 17, playing at all sorts of leagues and tournaments, trying to get off the bottom of the rankings. And then uh, I was training with Lee Drew, which is a fantastic coach, kind of had that Malcolm Wilstrop approach to the, to the game, such a deep thinker. And that was awesome for me. And I, so then uh, I got injured when I was about 19 and 20. I was doing quite well, improving. And uh, it forced me to take some time off from the tour. And it kind of was a wake-up call. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Um, at the time, I think I was a bit lost. And um, I was injured. My parents were getting divorced. And I was a bit like, oh my God, like what's happening? I was, And Karen Selby, um, Lauren actually met this lady in Phoenix I think she was Lauren was playing a PSA tour, a WSA tournament at that time and there was a lady called Kim Clerkin at the tournament and apparently Kim Clerkin uh, was looking for a pro uh, in San Francisco where she was actually from working at the time and um, she was in Phoenix for a, to help run a event and uh, she offered the job to Lauren Lauren went I, you know, I can't take it right now but um, I know someone who might you know, be interested that was me so um, I didn't have any money at the time. So they paid for a flight for me to go out and set set me up with Kim. I didn't know anything. Didn't Never been to America. Uh, packed my bag, $25 in my pocket. Got off the flight in San Francisco. Was going to meet this lady called Kim. And uh, she wasn't there. <laughs> um, so I got to, got to the airport. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, what, what have you, and that was the wake up call to be like, what did you just do? <laughs> so, um, ended up, uh, borrowing someone's phone at the airport, dialing the wrong number five times, you know, plus one, four away, whatever. <laughs> hey kid, it's Charlie. Just wondering, um, if I can get a taxi or, you know, you're picking me up. Lucky she was going to pick me up cause I didn't have enough money for a taxi, but she came and, uh, picked me up and, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I say I've got so many squash mums or squash dads out there, like, you know, most squash players will say. But, yeah, just a massive part of my life. Uh, I couldn't owe to her. She's She then, uh, so I moved out to San Francisco when I was 20. She offered me the job in San Francisco Bay Club that I was there for five years and had an amazing kind of playing the America, South America, North America tour for five years and then um and then ended up coaching transitioning coaching more and more um from when i was 20 and i was coaching you know i was kind of 15 16 all the way through on and off to kind of subsidize playing but um yeah ended up coaching more and more and falling in love with it and realizing when i was in that phase where i was playing and coaching it was it was easier I got a lot more enjoyment from actually coaching. I, I love training, uh, but the competing side of it was always hard because you have to be so dog eat dog and committed. And it's, it's hard to do that from America. I'll be honest, uh, especially hard to do that from the West coast. So doing all these super gnarly bike sessions, treadmill sessions, summer training blocks by yourself is hard on the West coast, especially, um, but yeah, I had a good career, got to about 120 in the world, um, had some good scouts along the way. But I knew when I hung my playing shoes up, I knew that I was hungry for the next best thing. And I didn't really reach the top as a player. But now as a coach, I'm really hungry to reach the top for my full potential as a coach. And I kind of got into 
coaching adults a lot when I was starting learning my craft and they were great. You know, like you, you they're like guinea pigs, you know, they're going to eat up anything you tell them. You can try new things out. And, um, that was where I really learned how to coach and tried to learn new things. And that was awesome. So yeah, fast forward there was at Bay club, San Francisco for five years and then been down at Redwood Shores Bay Club for nearly five years as well. So done 10 years with the company. Learned a lot, seen a lot of good faces. Um, you know, Gabriel Morgan, Cole Becker, um, Branston Ming, Odyssey Kankuri, like Serena, uh, Serena Daniel, Abney Anand. Just worked with some awesome players along the way, which were West Coast born and bred day ones. And now it's just, just getting so big. And it's awesome to be in the epicenter of it really uh, yeah cjsa that's 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 amazing and uh yeah i mean we'll get into that you know along along this episode but uh the growth out on the west coast and the significance you know of all these players coming through now it's just uh it's just testament to you know because you know it's almost like you guys have been like almost like the stepchild i mean like it, i just remember it was just like such a burden like when you had to go to a, a west coast jct i mean this is like 10 years ago and it was and i'm like well how do the you know people from the west coast feel like you know they're like living on like a little island and you know all this actions in Philly, Connecticut, New York, and whatever. And uh, so we, I really, it' very interesting to learn about the growth and the trajectory. And um, yeah, just really what's going on, you know, right now. And uh, so it's it's really it's really exciting. So uh, we yeah. have Michael Feldman, who is uh, you know I'm a squash dad, and he's like the West Coast squash dad. So, Michael, why don't you uh, tell us about your journey uh, with squash and how you met Charlie and uh, how it all began and uh, what's happening today? Okay. Um, take a shot at that. Uh, well, uh, I'll start with when I first met Charlie, which was, I think, Charlie, you've been here less than a year, something like that. Is that right? Mm, um, yeah, about that. And, uh, yeah, my son is now a, a, a freshman in college, um, was just starting off, and uh, we live in San Francisco, and so we went down to the Bay Club, the uh, San Francisco Bay Club. There are several, there are many across uh, the Bay Area, and I think now the West Coast, maybe more, mm. uh, maybe further mm. further afield. Um, anyway, uh, so we went to our local one, and, and there was Kim, and there was Charlie, and he seemed like an enthusiastic uh, young man, and um, and the, the kids started. Well, my son started training with him. Uh, I think his first year here, and then uh, a few years later, my, my daughter joined. And then, um, and then when Charlie moved to the, uh, so you have to understand the, the geography of the of the Bay Area. Um, so it, it, you know, there's San Francisco at the tip, and then there's this uh, a long peninsula. And Charlie moved down to the Redwood Shores, which is on the peninsula, and it's not so easy to get down there. It's 45 minute drive, and so um, there was a period where the kids weren't trading with Charlie, um, and then um, they returned to Charlie. Um, I guess the beginning of COVID. Charlie's. Uh, yeah, I guess Felix never stopped. That, yeah. Felix never stopped because yeah. he would come down on Sundays, but um, but really in earnest uh, at, at the beginning of COVID. Um, 
and yeah, we've never stopped it. It was, um, you know, the putting all those kids together, um, uh, creating this critical mass of, of talent, I think is uh, definitely, uh, you know, the, 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 the sum of the, the, the whole is equal to more than the sum of the, its parts. You know, having these kids compete against each other and see what can be done and uh, participate in a culture, a certain culture that, that Charlie's established has really, really been a powerful force. What what got you? What, what got you? Were you were you a squash player when you grew up, or how did you know about the sport? No, I so how did I know? Um, so I grew up in Cleveland, which is uh, there's some squash, but it's uh, not exactly a, a hotbed. Um, although there's some, uh, and a friend who played. So like I heard of it uh, when I went to college. Um, at the time I was in college, uh, we were quite good. I wasn't quite good. The team was quite good, and. Um, through a friend of a friend uh, or a friend of a friend was one of the leading figures on the team. And, um, so I started going to squash matches and I was like, I, I, this is cool. I, I, it always stuck with me. I was like, God, I wish I had played the sport. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, imposed, uh, my wishes onto my children, which, uh, you know, as, as every, as every uh, good parent does. <laughs> No, that that's a tricky situation, but uh, yeah, it sure is. <laughs> but uh, okay, we can get into that. Um, so your son started out, and uh, but I mean, you've seen the growth. I mean, what sort of growth is happening now? You know, um, on the West Coast, at least at least in your area, that you see and and really can feel, and it's like almost palpable that uh, it's really go- hitting in a, a very nice trajectory. Yeah, Charlie probably can address that a little better than I can because he's a, he's a lot closer to it. But because um, it's always felt pretty robust uh, since since we've been uh, a part of the scene, um, it, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. It's all, it's always felt pretty pretty active. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I am sure it is, but I guess active is re- relative to you know um, what's going on in other parts of the country. Right. So, I, I mean, I don't think the, the mass of players in, you know, the California, you know, Seattle, that area is, you know, I don't even know what the percentage is. I mean, it, I'm sure it is, it is grown over, over the years, but uh, you know, back when we were, you know, involved, there was very few people and, and players coming to the U you know, to the East coast for the JCTs, even the nationals, it was a big burden. And, uh, Oh, you know, not very, you know, maybe not very fair, but I guess you had to put the, you know, the tournaments where the masters were. And, you know, it was not California was not where, you know, the level was, I guess, to permit, you know, having more JCTs or even a national, you know, event, junior event. Um, but uh, it seems, Charlie, I mean, just by yeah, and you're just one. You're you one cog, obviously a big cog. Yeah. But it's you're just one cog in the machine, the machine out there. And uh, so, hmm. what what sort of growth has happened over the since you've been, you know, about almost yeah. ten? Years? Yeah, I think um, I think it's interesting because probably when you were playing, it wasn't so serious. It was probably three or four families from the West Coast, probably uh, the Mings and hmm. the Morgans, uh, right. the Beckers, kind of they were the serious ones kind of doing that bit of travel out to the JCTs and the bigger tournaments. 
And then it slowly grew, you know, year after year, the, the, the sport is growing out here. I feel like it's, uh, it's still fairly new each, each year. It's just growing. The little kids are just coming through more and more. And I think that's a exposure thing because the game is growing in general, but on the West coast, um, it's, it's just more, more word of mouth, you know, like success breeds success in a way, iron sharpens iron. And these, these, you know, go into school and you kind of meet, you know, we'll talk to Zane later about that, but it's cool to play squash. It's, it's a, it's an interesting sport. You know, I think all the kids here, they're so proud to play squash because they love it. And that's the thing. When you get someone who loves what they do, it's infectious and they go around, they're like, yeah, you want to play squash as well? Like, and I think that's a big thing, but then you've got the parents as well. The parents tell their friends and then their friends get their kids in. I think, as much as like what you do with the podcast, you share it because you love it, you grow it. And I think that's what we are as squash players. We just want to grow the sport and tell people how great it is because we're passionate about it. And I think uh, that's just the case of it. Well, I mean, I think, and, and you said something I think is very important. When the passion comes from not the parent, not the coach, but when it comes, it, when it's innate or it's learned by the, the young player, then your job is easy. I mean, it really, mm. it really is because, you know, despite anything, if, if you're, if the player's not, you know, fully committed, mm. they're, they're going to reach a certain level and, and that'll be that. And that may be fine, but if they want to pursue, you know, and, and really, really give it 150% effort and start, you know, maybe make the national team or whatever, or do something in college, then it's, uh, you know, it's really, really it has to come from the player. So uh, yeah. I think that's and if you can instill that and and give them confidence early on, I think that bodes well, you know, as they grow mm. and, uh, you know, they figure it out for themselves because, uh, you know, parents and, and coaches can only lead them to the well. If it's not yeah. for them, you know, it's not for them. Yeah. So when they're fully invested mm. for themselves. It's a great thing and they can share it. And, you know, and, you know, it's funny, like on the East coast, you know, during the early days for us, everything was very sort of, it was, even though there was a lot of players, it was almost very secretive, like what the training, you know, it was, it, these were your competitors and for that, it's a much healthier environment when you can share your knowledge with other players and you not be threatened by other, you know, other players. Yeah. And I think it's a really good thing. And that yeah. it's almost like a Zen thing from the West coast that, you know, you're comfortable in your own skin and, and it's a good thing that, and mm. you're right. It helped foster growth and growing the sport. Mm. So it's, it's really, that's really key. I think. Yeah. I think where we're at right now in the sport, you know, it's present day. If we look back and we say what COVID was for us, it, it was a blessing in a way. I know it was very challenging for a lot of programs out there, but it really brought us together in a community. And I think that was the making. And I think this was the difference between before, you know, everyone's just an individual and we all travel individually. And, you know, that works for some people. Some people want to do their own thing. And I think that's great. But I think we're stronger together on the West Coast. And that's what we started to change uh, in COVID. You know, we, we had to always be in pods and that pod means you're in with, you know, 15 other girls or, you know, 20 other boys in a pod and you just train with them every day. And then it just got to a point where we were building something just more than squash. And 
you know, mental health is a massive thing and people now being vulnerable. And I think that's really special. Um, if you can bring that out in sport and be able to help someone or someone else help someone. And that's what we were doing. We were, we were like, uh, you know, going on court, a 16 year old would go on court with like a 11 year old and, you know, they'd just help each other. And it was all about that. And that was a blessing for us because it took the egos down. It, it was more about seeing the person than the player, um, which I think is really important, but it's really important for other people to see, for them not to see that person as a player, but I, a player seeing a player as a person. Right. And I think that's really special. Yeah. It's you, you're building a community, which is, is mm. huge. All right. So, uh, and without any further ado, I, we need to bring on the young thoroughbred and, uh, <laughs> get him involved in the conversation. So Zane, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we definitely need to hear your pathway and how you uh, came in, you know, around Charlie and uh, was your family involved with squash? How did you get started? And uh, just, you know, elucidate our audience, which I'm sure a lot of the young players will be very interested to hear. So, uh, uh, so um, as far as getting into squash, I'm like a fourth generation squash player. My mom, on my mom's side, um, all of her cousins played. Um, her 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 mom played. Her grandfather played. So it's been kind of a long thing. My dad uh, competed in India. My dad was number two in India. Um, and the funny thing was, my dad was number two in India, and at the same time, the number one was my mom's cousin, and the number three was my mom's other cousin. Um, so keep, keep it in the family. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she was always told never to come to any of the matches because, you know, then he, then my dad would play better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, so that was kind of a, so it's been in the family for a bit. So then kind of when I came around the age of seven, I was, I was like almost eight, about seven. I started at uh, Stanford. Um, and I'm, I'm, and I'm a bit more South than, um, than this, than where this club Redwood Shores is or San Francisco. Um, and I'm pretty close to Stanford. It's about 10 minutes from my house. Um, so I started there with Richard Elliott, um, just private lessons. Um, and I had, and I had up until that point tried out a bunch of different other sports and I was quite hopeless at all of them. I, I tried soccer and I remember I, I play soccer and I remember one time I'm, I was like young and I was playing soccer and, I passed the ball to the other team and my mom asked me in the car, like, why do you do that? And my answer to her was like, yeah, it was their turn to play with the ball. So you know, I, I, I was, the competitive edge was not yet there. Um, but then those sports weren't really my thing. But then I remember after my first, or I don't know, but my mom always tells me after my first um, lesson, I came out and I told my mom like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, then this is it. Um, so then for a bit, I play once a week. And then I grew to twice a week, but just at Stanford, less one lesson. And then, you know, I started my first clinic and all that. Um, yeah. And then as it went on, I moved from there to uh, Bay Club Santa Clara uh, with John Perry for quite a while. Um, and I was, and I was, and I was fairly good there. I was, I was, I was, I would get to kind of the top of the age groups by the time I would age out. Never, I never hit number one. I never really won much. I didn't want anything too huge. Um, and then 
and then and then Charlie moved down from Stan from San Francisco. I always knew Charlie was like the big club San Francisco coach, but San Francisco is about an hour away from my house, so I was never super involved over there. Um, but I, and the, Charlie was kind of this coach who I knew of but didn't know him that well. We met him a couple of times, and then he moved over to Robert Shores. And I remember there was a, a few of the kids. A few, a few of the kids I competed with, because most of the kids I competed competed with all trained at Baker Cupertino, which is now Rubble and Ash. It's not really a club anymore. Um, but that club, a lot of those players played there. And then they had come here for, I, I, knew, I know a lot of them had started doing clinics here. And so I was interested. And so I was still at Santa Clara at the time, but I would come down here for a clinic or two. I think I took like a one-off lesson with Charlie once or twice, but I always... And I remember Charlie. Do you remember that first lesson? Oh yeah, first lesson. First lesson (laughs) where he taught me about the different kinds of drives, and I was like, "There's no way that there are actually different types of drives." (laughs) The most breaking news to me. This was the like the the eureka moment of there's more to this game than just you know than just try to look like Gregory Gauthier, which that was what squash was to me until that time, Um, but. Yeah, and just so much more detail to it. And it just kind of opened up this whole kind of thinking in my mind about there could be so much more to this that I just have no idea about. And so then slowly I started to transfer over more to Robert Shores and then I fully switched. Um, And then, yeah, I've been with Charlie for what, three years? Yeah, three years now. Coming up Mm. on three years. Crazy, but that was like right before COVID. And so... And then, and then from there, that was when, you know, I changed rackets. I like learned how to actually play squash and, you know, developed an actual game. Um, and that's like all thanks to Charlie, but, um, yeah, just, just learned a lot here. And that's, and that, that's where I think my, uh, my like love of the game, like deepened. Cause when you, I think when you find out that there's like so much more to this than you thought, than you previously thought. There's just there's just this new level of intrigue that you have for it, which just contributes to the amount that you put into it and care and all that. So that was huge for me. When did you when did you start traveling? You know, um, like across the country, and was that was was that I mean, like that's a pretty big burden when most of the action you know is on the East Coast. So uh, how did you your family like adapt to that? And when they realized, obviously, you, you're having some potential and you're starting to do well and they want to foster that. And uh, right. so how did that work? So one of my closest friends, um, this kid uh, named Miro, um, him and I were always really tight when we were young. We used to play all the time, compete. We we're really close in level. And he had gone to a JCT in November, this one November. It was November 2015. He'd gone to, he'd gone to a JCT. And then in December was the U.S. Open. And you know, I had heard of these things, but I was like, oh, I'm never going there. I was, you know, I, I had no concept of my ranking. I thought I was really well ranked in the country because in my in the rating bracket of 2.0, I was like number four. And so I thought I was like really well ranked in the country or something. But I just had no idea. And so then his dad convinced my mom to like, let me go to the US Open. Now, I thought it's a long shot, but it happened and it's awesome. So yeah, my first tournament was, I was nine years old. I was almost 10. It was about a month away from being 10, but I was nine years old, 2015 U.S. Open. Um, I got smacked around in most of those matches. I had just, that, that was that, but that was super eye-opening to me, right? I mean, you not only do you see all the other kids from around the country, but you're literally seeing all the other kids around the world 
and you're like, wow, this kid is, this kid is a year younger than me. And he's, and he's so good at this. It's just, it's just like mind blowing to be around that kind of squash. And I mean, you, I, it was at Yale 20, uh, it was like some 17 courts or something. Right. It was just, it was just, it was, it was insane to see that level of squash that much going into squash, that community around squash, which I mean, by the way, is nothing like it is now even, but just for me, that was just so huge to me. I remember I went there and, 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 and I had heard, and I had heard like the parents of the kid I was playing in the first round and they were like, and, and someone had asked them like who they're, who they're playing, who that kid's playing in the first round. They're like, Oh, some West coast kid. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, rightly so I got smacked, but there was that time. Um, that was the attitude towards it, right? It's so West Coast, whatever it's not a big deal. Well, no, yeah. There was definitely some good players who came out, as you know, Charlie mentioned before, you know, a little ahead of Morgan, but there were some really, really good players. I mean, oh, and, then, and then they just, it just not, really not, just went yeah. crazy. Yeah, no, mm. of course. I, that's for not saying there's not. I'm just saying, like, majority of the time, right. the West Coast came, especially in the under 11s, is that there were no real up and comer, up and comer young kids. You know, of course, everyone knew about. The, old, the older kids who were doing great, Gabriel Morgan and Cole Becker and all these kids, but when you're younger, it's when the younger kids, there was not really that same thing. Um, I don't think we thought at that time that I would start making this uh, traveling every month thing, missing school every month thing. But yeah, literally after that tournament, I think I've very seldom missed any JCTs or any tournaments that way. And yeah, it's kind of become the lifestyle. That's, that's great. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, it's a similar pathway, you know, my son had, it was, uh, but we were, you know, East coasters and, uh, we definitely went out West coast and played a, you know, Seattle, I think. And, uh, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was fun, but it, it was, a, you know, a schlep and especially with the time change, I mean, you're, you're done for a few, I mean, not only you, you, you working real hard at the tournament, then you got the, the flight, the jet lag. I mean, it's, it's a lot. And, uh, plus you got schoolwork yeah. and whatever, and it's, it's difficult, but, uh, commendable. And, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know, has, has there ever been, you know, I'll, you know, bring this out to the three of you in terms of expanding like a West, uh, you know, a, a, another West coast JCT or I'm, I, you know, being out of the game, the junior game for a little while now, I'm not, ex and, you know, with COVID, the structure seemed to change and the, the nationals, you know, the timing and everything. So uh, have they in entertained bringing more major tournaments out West? And uh, it, it seems to be a really only fair. I mean, especially with the growth now on the West coast that it, you know, it would be, you know, beneficial, I think to uh, you know, you guys mm. on, you know, living out there. And uh, I mean, yeah. It sounds like you're, you're just about at the end of it, of your junior careers, eh? but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, for the, for the, for the generation to keep, you know, coming yeah. around. Um, I don't know. It's, it's probably a touchy situation. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, I guess they probably just us squash probably strictly goes by, by numbers. And, you know, I, I have no idea about the numbers and the participants from the West coast, you know, so hmm. you have a, a little information doing, on it, Charlie? Yeah, I think they're doing a good job about mixing up the tournaments. Uh, you know, considering the year we just got out of COVID, I think it was 21, 22, first season back. It was brutal for us, you know, coming out to Philly every month from, you know, September to March 
uh, was just brutal. We might as well just bought like a private jet and chartered exactly. it for the whole community because we were living on that. I could tell you right now, it's a, it's a Wednesday red eye, 11.45 American Airlines lands at 6.45 a.m. We go to the Sheraton Hotel downtown uh, uh, Philadelphia, yeah. sleep there, have a nap, go to the bagel shop, go for our practice it, then go to the tournament. And we done that for the whole season for every tournament. It was brutal on the kids, brutal on the the travel, the make the, the amount of school they miss, the amount of homework they have to make up, tests they have to make up, the parents kind of having to take days off you know, work, and all for the love of the game. And I think that's that special. But onto your point, US squash have done a good job this season about mixing it up. You know, we've had one one tournament in Boston, we've had one tournament um at the spec uh no we've had one tournament uh in boston we've had one tournament in philadelphia right. Penn. uh we had the west coast jct uh we've got the us open and then we've got uh two nice tournaments which i think is uh dc uh jct and then um houston jct so it's it's a good, good well houston, houston well you know when we were doing it houston wasn't available that wasn't happening but that mm. sounds like a very positive sort of That's a hotbed. totally in between but a little closer mm-hmm. to the West Coast and considered West mm-hmm. Coast and uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that's good. I mean, but I mean, I think, you know, West Coast squash has really come into its own. And uh, I think critical in, in growing this game. I mean, one of my mm-hmm. whole things about doing the podcast was like, you know, the sport's been so good to our family. You know, how can... I contribute to, you know, because I felt like, you know, people out in Seattle and mm. California or where even in the Midwest, the access to information is very limited. And mm. uh, so I was always interested in how to grow this game. Is it all mm. like grassroots, like, you know, bringing it to, you know, because squash has always been considered you know, a, a sort of a, a regal type sport. And, and, and it was in a way prohibitive for, you know, people who didn't have the ability to pay for lessons or get the equipment or belong to a club. So, you know, what, what, what are they doing out on the West coast as, as part of like a either grassroots or the way they view, um, you know, growing the game, is it similar to the East coast or, is there a different strategy out west? Do you think? Well, I th- I think we're in a good position because I think all the different clubs out here have got a different strength. So it's not like we're all trying to take from the same uh, you know uh, pedigree of players. We've got a couple of clubs that do really good grassroots programs, like world class grassroots. Um, then we've got a couple of clubs which are really good member clubs, uh, good ladders, good leagues good community, adult communities. And then we've got, you know, I would say the city clubs, which are more social You've got, when you've got people coming to town and then you've got the high performance programs. So you've got everything on the West Coast, only in the Bay Area I can speak to, but in the Bay Area, I think we've got a pocket of clubs that are doing something really, really well individually. Um, and I think that just leads onto it. Like Zane saying the story started at Stanford, which was grassroots, went to Santa Clara, which was, you know, really strong at the time and inspired him. And then the, I had the older ones at my club and it just works really well right now. And I think that's, that's what we're doing well. Um, 
Yeah, and it's special. Michael, yeah. Yeah, I'd say there's, oh, I think it's a pretty big difference also, which is, um, I think on the East Coast, um, a squash court is more likely to to be behind some paywall, um, a club or a club with restricted membership. As opposed, I mean, the clubs out here are not so restricted. Uh, it's called the Bay Club, but you know, anyone can join. Um, and I think that uh, I think there are more courts that are just open to everyone on the west or in the Bay Area than on the East Coast in general. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, and there's just and but the fact remains, it takes a lot of money to to um, for kids to get really good. Uh, in squash, it just does. I mean, between the travel and the coaching and the everything, and there's been a lot of wealth creation in the Bay Area. And there's mm-hmm. been the the, the, I, the the Bay Area squash community, or the, the, I think, um, and you know, you two tell me if you disagree with this, but I think its its explosion has been driven largely by the Indian community in the South Bay, and mm-hmm. that's a that's community that's done very well via Silicon Valley. And, so the money is there, and the and the courts are there. That's what but it takes. It, you know, you know, it's it's funny you say that, but I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it and and I and I learned from my experience that you can spend less money. I mean, it's all comes about at the, the balance of the training and the amount of clinics and the amount of private lessons and the fitness. And, and it, there's all it's a whole big you know pie that can be you know sectioned. Yet you know. I think I, I, mean, we, I we spent a fortune, you know, bringing Morgan. And, you know, again, when I was telling you when he started, it was not it was there was not a lot of active, you know, maybe a little bit in in Greenwich. But in New York City, there was not a lot of active clinics or stuff where you can go and just play matches. So he got driven by a lot of private lessons, which I really don't think is the, is the, the recipe for success. Um, just, you know, over an abundance of private lessons. I think there's got to be a balance. And uh, but that that's a problem when it costs that much money to get to a certain level. That doesn't give access to a lot of players that maybe, you know, may have the potential to really succeed. So I it's, think. That's a good point. But coming back to what you said about the side of money, money is not a factor because I feel like if you take one lesson a week and you're all in with that lesson, you know, Zane has one lesson a week. Uh, There's some players who have six lessons a week and you can do it this way or you can do it another way. Um, You can do it the way that it comes from them. Uh, you know, I was I was a person who grew up just doing lots and lots of solo, and I think that's the American model, which is throw money at it. Right, but and that I doesn't always work. That does not always work. work. Right. I mean, you mm. balance with the solo, your fitness. Yes, you you got to play. I mean, I think that's the success from Egypt, and we you know mm. you you mentioned. I forget what we were talking about earlier, but everyone plays with everybody at the clubs in Egypt. You go mm. and. Um, you can get up Ali Farag playing with some 13-year-old or get on yeah. court. I mean, they all give what they can give because someone gave mm. it to them as well. So, like, you know, yeah. if Zane, you know, had someone who was a mentor to him and was very generous on, you know, going on court and, and drilling with Zane, then he'd want to give mm. that, you would hope, give that to someone younger that he can share his expertise. Yeah. And I think that's 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 a really good formula for helping everybody. And this, uh, well, this is actually I, something I, what we do. 
Michael? I, I was going to say that I, I 100% agree with Charlie. Um, but as a parent who actually writes the checks, I will say it just to compete, just to, I mean, as a West Coast parent, just to compete uh, uh, and go to tournaments is a major financial um, investment, right? I mean, What's it looking at for, yeah. a, for a JCT, Michael? Rough, rough numbers. <laughs> what do you? What, what's a rough JCT? Well, I, 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 I will first start by saying I very specifically don't compute that number because I don't want to know. <laughs> but but um, you know, it, 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 if it's just the kid, it's a little less expensive because that's one plane tickets. I just bought. Well, I just bought tickets to the U.S. Open. I I don't remember what I spent, but. It was it's enough. Don't worry about it. Maybe, you know the numbers are yeah, not. Yeah, I mean it's, it, it it adds up. It, it definitely. I mean you're talking about depending on lots of different factors. You know you could be spending two to four thousand dollars per tournament. That's probably a rough number, uh, depending on exactly how many people are going. And you know there's a tournament a month or close to it. Yeah, adds up. Mm. That's for sure. And it depends how much the coach eats. You know if you go out for dinner, sometimes the coach is <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean he's insatiable. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention any names about some of the coaches, but uh, some of them really like to eat. <laughs> this episode of the Two Doc Chronicles podcast is brought to you by the CJ Squash Academy, led by Charlie Johnson. This academy is the premier squash center on the West Coast located in the Bay Area at the Redwood Shores Bay Club. Charlie Johnson is the director of squash at the Bay Club Redwood Shores and is also a junior national coach for Team USA, presently at the British Junior Open. This academy was created with an extraordinary passion to develop young players to enjoy the sport and aim to maximize their potential. He has fostered a community where players can't wait to get to the club to see their friends and have their squash skills honed. Charlie has garnered a reputation nationally as a premier squash coach, a tremendous leader, and most importantly, an incredible person. CJ Squash Academy can be reached at 650-593-4900, and they can also be followed on Instagram at CJ Squash Academy. Well, actually, uh, coming on to that side of it, um, on the West Coast here, what we started to do is we started to not take the parents with us. For better or worse, we leave them at home. And Michael um, is a big supporter of this, and I think it's really benefited his two two kids, uh, which I've traveled with for nearly two years, You know, taking them to tournaments without parents. So, you know, I've taken Zane to tournaments without parents. I've taken all of the juniors. Uh, I, I encourage them to travel without parents. One, it's financially cheaper for the parent. Two, um, the, the player gets, you know, mum and dad aren't there to hold the bag and to, to baby them. You know, you've got 14-year-olds traveling across the country and winning themselves and losing themselves they pick themselves up and they win the matches themselves, which I think is a really important and empowering factor. Being on the West Coast, it's a challenge. But if you use it the right way, it can be a weapon. 
it can be so powerful. And that's why I believe we're coming and, for success. We've discussed this so many times. It's first of all, I mean, the whole dynamic and the pressure that not all the parents, but the, a majority of the parents, even though they try, they try their best to stay calm and whatever. But it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's an undue pressure <laughs> that I think a lot of the players feel. And uh, I think we, I think when Luke was talking about this on one of our older episodes, and uh, it was like during COVID, and he had a bunch of tournaments that the kids self-coached themselves. There was no parents around. And he thought, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, and, and I think when, and again, you know, the coach is only, you know, is not on the court during, you know, during the game. So the coach mm-hmm. is only really, you know, good, you know, maybe for a couple of little calm the player down or whatever. But, you know, the X's and O's, a lot of it has to be, you know, you learn into the training and you bring it to the match. And you, and you need you can't ask the coach during the game intra game like mm. what do I do what's going on you got to figure oh. it out for yourself and I think that allows you to figure it out yourself when you don't have some of that undue pressure you know mm. from the parents oh. and um, yes it, it's a savings mm. but I think it's also better for the kid I mean the, the parents should be able to come and watch and and see the you know kids play at some matches or whatever but it doesn't mm. have to be every tournament and i think it really allows the growth of the player to you know mm-hmm. a better trajectory and uh so say how do you feel about that like i mean your parents obviously both are you know come from the squash world and were oh. players in their own right but the average squash parent you know has no idea really you know oh. if they think I- they do so I've done it. I've done both ways, right? So I, I've, I, I think a lot. So a lot of the JCTs and all. Um, I, I have a younger sister that plays too. So she plays all the tournaments. So generally, I, my mom does come, or both parents come. So I've, I've done it that way. And then when we went, and then we, this summer we went on the Europe. We went to this. We went on the Europe trip with Charlie, and we went to the Dutch and the German. And then I was able to go to Worlds, and all that was obviously without parents. Um, and I would say for me. I think I, I definitely do see the benefit in a lot of kids not going with parents because I, I mean, I see the whole pressure thing. I think, I think I'm lucky enough to where like I've, I, and I'm grateful for this where like I've found a way that when my parents are there, like we know how we have a very, we're, we have very obvious terms of agreement under which it operates. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm barely, I'm barely in the room. Right. I, I, like I, I, I do most things by myself. I, 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 cause I'm very stringent about my routines and all that. Um, so like, and it's not like, and I'm not saying I say terms of agreement. I don't mean like I've ordered my mom and dad to do this and do that. It's more just like, it's more just like, you know, they kind of give me that space to operate how I need to. Um, and that's that. Um, because, but I think, but I think the difference is, the, the the question here I think is more is a more reliance thing, and that and that and that can be applied to coaches and parents. Um, you you see this where, as Charlie said, uh, winning on your own, losing on your own, you lose you lose a match. You don't have that. You know you can't just run away to your mom. You know. Um, on the other hand, you lose a match. You're not getting 
you know, you're not, you're not getting ripped apart by a parent. Right. So like it's, but it's, but to me, it's that reliance thing on, you don't create that mental crutch in your head of, I need this person there or, or, you know, or I can't have this person there. It's just kind of, you're playing for yourself. You're playing a little more focused. You're playing a bit more. I mean, I guess, yeah, for yourself, it's, it's, right. it's not, that's, it's, that's the key. It's not, it's not, it's not this, this person must be there or I'm so scared that they might be out there or it just, it just releases a lot of worry for a lot of kids. And I do see, I do see that side of things. Um, I mean, I do think it's nice to have the parents there sometimes, but I, but I definitely see for a lot of kids how it's, how it's like, how it like really frees them up when their parents aren't there. Um, and you see that just very obvious in the way that they play even. Yeah. No, I, I do think, and you know, there's such a huge, for a squash parent, it's, there's a huge learning curve, especially if you don't, mm. if you've never been around squash prior to your kid, you know, playing. And uh, mm. so it's, there's so much to learn. And you see, you know, I just remember one of the last JCTs I was with Morgan and there was, you know, this like eight year old and the father was just like, she was losing, she was crying. He was like berating her. And I waited till it was all said and done. And not that my words are going to mean anything. I just went over. I said, you know, you guys, she's eight years old. She's not going to last till she's 10 or 11. Mm. If you continue in this fashion and, uh, and then I just walked away. I, I didn't want to get involved, but I mean, yeah, you, you, I mean, look, we've all been there early on or whatever. It's, it's very difficult to watch. And you'll see Charlie, maybe one day yeah. if you have kids or whatever, and you have a child and it's, mm. it's different than anything because it's your child. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, I think is- this is the other side of it though, is we're not trying to tell you how to be a parent, but um, I think that's, that gets tangled quite clearly because the parents tell us how to be coaches. So I think it's uh, so as soon as there's a line, you know, the, the parent really respects us as a coach and we really respect them as parents. We're not, we're not trying to tell you how to bring your kid up, but uh, I think there's, I wouldn't come into your office and tell you how to do your job. So I think the best parents we have give us the room to be able to do our jobs because they trust us. Um, I have a rule, I'd say, uh, no parents in my classroom because you wouldn't come into your kid's classroom at school and sit there and tell them how to do this and tell them how to do that. Um, and it goes that same way. Well, and the parents we have are great. It's like, you know, you know, when I go into the operating room and you, or in my office and the parents want to be in the room, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, it's not happening. I mean, mm-hmm. you could stay here just before we get started, but you know, that's this is me. I'm gonna take good care mm. of your kid, and it's all coming and from a you, good place with emotion, right? It's it's all love, of course. At the end of the day, yeah, yeah of course. And, that, and it's probably almost too much love, and uh, in a way, I mean, it, because they want so much for their kid to have some sort of success. I and, mean, Michael could probably speak to this well because <laughs> I think he's a fantastic parent who just gets the balance right. So, Michael, <laughs> well. Well, I have two kids that uh, definitely disagree with you, Charlie. Um, no, I, 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 uh, I think I'm an utter failure as a, uh, a squash parent. Um, and, I would say, I Michael, 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 I would not say that. Okay, thank you. But, but well, no, my saving grace is I recognized it early um, and, uh, and stepped step back. Um, one of my uh, strengths and weaknesses is I really don't know anything about squash. Um, and so I really can't 
point anything out or say anything because I don't know, it all looks good to me. Um, so anyway, I've learned to keep my mouth shut and that's probably the best way. And then um, I've learned, and then I stopped showing up because even keeping my mouth shut, I couldn't, I couldn't hide my expressions on my face. And so I, I just had to be. No, there's, there's not a proper position that a squash parent can watch or, you know, view their child. And, but mm. on, the, on the other Only side, live stream. Right. But on the other side of the coin, you know, the, the players shouldn't be looking back anyway. I mean, if you really think about it, they should be really yeah. hyper focused and not being paying attention to the gyrations or whatever, or, you know, the, mm. the facial grimaces of a parent. So it's mm. it's really one of the things to learn, I think, as a, as a young player is to stay within the court, keep, you know, focused and not be, you know, whatever's going on behind the glass has no relevance to what's going on in your match. And that's the way you need to separate and not become dependent, maybe a parent, you know, a clap or whatever, or, or the players looking for affirmation from, from the parent. And that shouldn't be part of the, the equation. Mm. I, I'm sure you, you know that. I mean, Charlie, it's like preaching yeah. to the choir. I mean, really? No, I, I think it's, I think it's a really important thing for the parents to be able to know how they impact them positively and how they impact them negatively. Um, because I think there is a there is a positive to having parents, you know, involved in that environment. Because if they're positive, it can be five against one. You can have five people on your team outside the court, that environment you're building. The one player's playing is going to run for a wall for them five people are there. If, it, if they're all on the same page, if we're all going the same direction, it's going to be amazing. Because you're playing that one opponent, there's five of you, you know, you're playing for them. That's when it could be a really positive impact. I got this, you know, I, I first learned that feeling with Team USA at the British Junior Open. You know, looking at the coaches there, Laurent Alrani, uh, Simba was there, right. Mustafa, um, Rich Wade, Luke Butterworth, like the, the pedigree of coaches there and how they created this environment where it was like Team USA. That's, that's when I first met Miles and um, players like Jack Lentz, who were just... You know, Jackson, ROTC, Miles, or uh, where's, where's Jack now? I think he's graduated. But yeah, Miles is at UVA in the uh, ROTC program. Yeah, and just just playing for your country, it made you so proud. I remember Coach uh, Jack coming on to Jack Lentz as well. Like he was playing uh, the 5-8 seed, Carl uh, Finch from England, to love up against him, like, the kid was just playing for the letters on his back. And that was the message we preached from the beginning. Um, but just taking that into, you know, nowadays environment, kids have got to be inspired to go out there and, and want to win or want to compete and be hungry for that. But because there's, uh, there's, I don't know what it's losing somewhat now. It's just going through the motions because you just show up for your lesson. You just show up for your clinic. Kids are just showing up to tournaments. And I think I talked to, you know, Zane and the players about this. Don't just show up and tick a box. It's it's about, do you know what you're showing up for? Do you know what you're going there for? You know, we're going, getting on a flight for five, six hours from San Francisco, getting off in Boston. Do you know why you're here? You're here to compete. Let's go out there and, and perform. You know, the lights come on, the curtain comes up. That's your stage to go out there and, and do the work. But if you're scared or you're, you feel afraid you you can't do that so it's getting them into that mindset where they can perform as well which i think is 
uh, the challenge as a coach because the work is done at home and then stage fright comes on and this happens to a lot of the juniors. And, but, those, and there's know. so much, you know, I mean, it's not only getting onto the court, but getting your body ready to get on court in terms of your nutrition, which there's a lot of downtime. When should you be eating? When you should be stretching? When you, you know, all, there's so mm. many factors, be, you know, especially coming from the West Coast to the East Coast. When you land, mm. I mean, there's just so much going on. And for you mm. to get your body and your mind ready to go on court. Because, yes, mm. you're traveling a long way and you want to peak at when you get on court, not, you know, a day before or a day mm. after. You want to be ready to go. But uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, the time I'm difference is brutal. The, the, I think that's something like Zane could probably talk to this, but playing a match at like 8 a.m. on the East Coast on like the first round is brutal. How's that feel, Zane? Well, I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm probably not the best person to talk about, talk to this one about because I actually enjoy those matches. Um, why? Why? Um, I think, well, I think well, my, my opinion, the, the, if you can, if you can be very organized about how you do things, I think it's all doable. I think, I think, yes, I, it is, it is definitely hard to, hard to deal with all the studying and the flights and the time difference and all that. I mean, the first the first step for me is just like stop acting like it's so hard. It's hard, but like kind of just you have to kind of make that switch in your mind of like this is how it's done and get used Nothing's to it. Nothing's going to change. Um, yeah, yeah. But you can. I mean, you can, I, I can talk. I can talk. I can talk for thirty minutes about how annoying it is to have to do homework and make stuff up and go to sleep on time and all this and that. But I mean, it is what it is, and I actually wouldn't change it for the world because actually, I think there's a lot of really redeeming value in it. But I think if you're just if you're just really organized about how you do things, like you, you sleep at the right time, you wake up at the right time, you and and you 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 sleep and wake up at a, at, at times where for the, you, uh, you you sleep for the right amount of time every night, and you just and you just pay attention to these things and put a little detail into it, not like oh okay, I have a two p.m. match tomorrow, so I'll sleep at two a.m. and wake up at ten and wake up at ten, and that'll be fine, like. It doesn't really work that way. You're never going to get the rest and the sleep and the rejuvenation you actually need when you do. And then when you do have that 8 a.m. match, then you're in trouble because now your whole sleep cycle's messed up. So I think it's just if you can get really organized about things as, and then take care of everything that needs to be taken care of, that reduces a lot of the stress and the and the uh, mm -hmm. challenge from the time difference and all those kind of things. So for me, it's just I mean, I'm also someone I mean, it's a little easy for me to say as well, because I'm also someone who like can't physically sleep during a tournament so i'll be up at 5 a.m anyway doesn't matter where i am like I, I was in germany and i was waking up at 5 a.m it's just all right um but that's kind of that, that's kind of a thing i feel and like I, and I, I think me. what you're talking about is it bodes i mean i think it's one of the beauties of of a squash player and who's gone through the junior juniors in terms of budgeting your time in, in, in being regimented, it, it really, it's going to serve you so well for, for life. I mean, it's going to help you in mm. college, but you're used to it. You're used to go to your training. You're used to coming home. You're doing your studies. You, you know, when you got to eat, I mean, there's all these little things that I think provide such a good basis mm. for, you know, as to become an, you know, a, a, a thriving adult. And, uh, I think it's tremendous. I just want to turn gears one a little bit. So what's the scene in Los Angeles? I mean, is that <laughs> non-existent squat? I mean, you would think that would be a little bit of a hotbed, but I guess it, it never really 
you know, manifested. And uh, it's sort of sad, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know so much about. Uh, I know there's, I know one program, LA Squash. Um, there's a couple, there's probably a few coaches, I think, in the program there. And I see that they're doing some good things. There's some, there's some good players coming out of there, but I just don't think they had the volume. And it's the same kind of thing. It's they're a long way from everything, uh, any support, and for them to create it. it I think it's on a smaller scale, so they don't have the, the courts, maybe. I think that's a, that's a factor, but. Ah, God, what a place to be, though. What a place I, you to know, be. I would think, and especially, I mean, knock on wood, I mean, I don't know, the odds are not mm. great, but for 2028 Olympics, you know, it would be insane if there was a squash scene in L.A., considering, mm. you know, that the games are going to be held there, at, you know, it would be amazing. And uh, yeah. so I don't know how, I mean, and I think it would help, again, helping the growth of the game. Because, you know, there's a lot going on there and there's, you know, maybe some publicity and things going on and that would really help help the sport. Um, mm. But it, you never hear really about any, anything really going on there. I mean, I know I we, I remember when we were on a trip, my sister lives in Santa Monica, my other sister and, uh, you know. Uh, uh, being a squash dad back when Morgan was young, if we went on any trip, I had to make sure I could find him like a place to play, play squash. Yeah. Like, you know, he'd have been okay without playing squash for a few days, but you know, the obsessed parent. So I, you know, found a place in LA or whatever, but there was, there was nothing really going on there at all. Yeah. It was a couple of yeah. adults banging it around in this club and that was it. And there was, hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the, the issue, the issue really is, is the weather's too good. You don't want to spend your time indoors. <laughs> you want to be on the beach. You want to be surfing. You want to be playing pickleball. It's just hard in these really nice, like Florida's, you know, Wales doing great things in right, Florida. Exactly. Um, but the weather has a factor because squash is an indoor sport. You know, look at the East coast. It's played in the winter out there because you don't want to go outside. Well, he's got, so all the, think, he's got all the teams traveling now for their winter break. Yeah. I'm so happy because it's a proven model of something going, you know, from the ground up in a great, you know, sunny location where it's not been done before. Right. So, I mean, yeah. if you have wild, you know, wild Hindi in Florida and then you put mm. one in Arizona or you put one in, you know, in Los Angeles, yeah. I mean, it's a way with and, and especially with someone who's known. To the very well known to the squash community, it could be so mm. important in terms of getting a foothold in and growing it in that area. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Wales like, done a fantastic job. You do have a few clubs, I think, that are kind of opening up around the place. Like you mentioned earlier, my Houston, which wasn't really a thing a while ago. I mean, it wasn't really wasn't really much of a thing until two years ago, I'd say. About, I mean, but you have like good coaches there, good players there. They've opened up their own club. That seems to be doing really well. A lot of kids are joining that. Um, a lot of kids are joining that. Um, and then, and then, yeah. And then while in Florida, I mean, I feel like there are clubs slowly opening up around in different places that are, that are, that are gaining a lot of popularity and expanding the sport nicely that way. Yeah. I, I, right. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think grassroots is a huge way of helping grow the sport. But I also mm. think, you know, there's, and you see, and Zane, you see, you were talking about earlier. I just thought it was interesting that you were having trouble maybe with some other sports or whatever, uh, you know, when you were younger. But the truth of the matter is, the athletes who end up in the top whatever in the country in, in U.S. squash, they're phenomenal athletes. 
they really, really are good athletes. So I think it's a little, you know, you know, people sometimes default into squash because maybe they couldn't play other sports or whatever, but to succeed in squash, you need to be a really good athlete. That's yeah, well, a, I really think me, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that it wasn't necessarily that I, I, when I played the first time, it wasn't like, Oh my God, I'm so good at this. Like, I think I made contact with the ball twice in that 45 minutes. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, I, I agree with you in that you look at any of the top players. Um, I mean, and it doesn't have to be professional. Like you look at any, even the right. top players and I was lucky enough to be able to go to worlds. Like you look at the, those kids at the top over there are, are so well-rounded in their, like their fitness and they're strong and they're fast and they're, and they have stamina and they're, you know, like all these things are such a, are, are such a, are such a big factor. And you don't, and, and I think you're seeing more and more as the game gets more and more physical, I think. Um, the, the importance of, of, as you said, being that very complete and strong athlete all around, because I think the game is also moving in a direction where that kind of um, physique and that kind of, I mean, athletic lifestyle is necessary to. Right. I mean, know. talent is only one part of the puzzle. It is yep. everything. I mean, it's only, I mean, it helps you out maybe when you're younger. I think if you're talented, and, you know, the mm-hmm. other kids aren't really talented like you and fitness isn't a big issue, maybe 11 or 12, 13 years old or whatever. But as you get older, the, the, the pot, it changes and you can't mm-hmm. just rely on your talent at all. I mean, you got to be as fit as everyone else. You have to be as hungry, mentally strong. There's so many aspects to, to well, you know, to solidify a, a champion. And it's just it just doesn't happen because you can you can hit a nick from anywhere or whatever. That just yeah. doesn't you know, it's not the formula, I, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's it, that's the interesting thing about when you see it really mature as a squash player. The, the idea about what quality really is on a squash court, it's like quality being able to not break down under pressure to be able to hit a winning length and just do, and to do it consistently consistently well i think that's the biggest thing when you're teaching kids it's okay that's brilliant can you do that consistently now and for, you know, when you get a, a kid right for a five game match that's going to go over an hour are you hitting yeah. the drive the same way you did in the first game and that's yeah. when you can eliminate your fitness from the equation that you're on the even same as you know so it's really you want to be able to do mm. things and not fatigue at the at at the end of the match. I remember Morgan was a pretty good shot player, if I remember. Oh, I mean, that, that was, that lefty, was a, lefty, right? Yeah, lefty. Yeah. He, I mean, look, he was he he had everything, but you know, it's a long road. He started at six and a half, and you know, fifteen, six, you know, sixteen. He almost had enough, and the pressure was always on him. Mm. He was a top player, and everyone was gunning for him back in those days, and. Uh, and Miles you know, had a good base. Right. And so he was fit and, and strong. So the thing is, early success doesn't, you know, it's not, I think it's almost a curse in a way. You, like just wait, relax, because just because you're top in the 11s, 13s, or whatever, it doesn't mean a hell of beans. Mm. And, and and you get too comfortable mm. while the other kids are really go gunning to, you know, get better. And you're like, well, I can just get away with this and that. And it doesn't exist. It really doesn't yeah. exist, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a factor when you start so young and you have that early success. I think it's good because you learn how to win, but then also you 
the hunter starts to become the hunted. Exactly. And that catches you up a little bit later on as, um, you know, Zayn came through pretty late, I'd say, but he came through at the right time um, for him. And I think that paid off. But it's all about trying to, have you still got that passion? Are you still doing those extra sessions? Because those extra sessions are going to be the ones that make a difference to the top players because everyone's doing work, but it's the extra sessions. And they're the ones, if you're not hungry, it's not going to happen. The extra sessions aren't the extra lessons. The extra sessions are the stretching sessions, the solo, the ball machine. When no one's watching, it's that classic saying, and you see all the pros. It's it's what that pros do extra. You know, like the uh, Nick Matthews. Even like when you watch them train, it's what you what they're doing before and after, which makes the difference. And the kids don't see that. I I, I, to- I totally agree with you. I mean, I think we mm. agreed on almost you know the philosophy <laughs> and what I've learned, and I'm sure Alan has. You know, again, he he claims a, but he knows what Michael has learned and um and he doesn't really admit that you know he really knows but he's watched a lot of squash and i'm sure mm. he's picked up a lot i mean look i never stepped on his really stepped on a squash court i was a tennis player so I, this is all just from me viewing and watching and trying to learn and uh, there's so much i mean it's it's as they say it's a life sport and uh I think we've been so fortunate to have you out there, Charlie. And you just sort of mm. serendipitously wound up out there. And mm. we have a lot to thank Kim Clearkin, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. she really, she has done more than she probably ever thought she did by bringing you, bringing you there. And uh, yeah. it's been uh, really, uh, uh, so I don't yeah. know if there's some other things you guys want to talk about. Um, well, that we I, haven't- I just, I- yeah, I wanted to add that. I mean, because I, I fear of getting in trouble, but uh, uh, it, it, Charlie's been fantastic and a big part of it. But there, I, we should recognize there's lots of people out in the West Coast who, you know, have. Well, there's lots of. There's, the, so, the, there's the no other Charlie, but to, there's, you know, there's yeah. some very good coaches out there. Um, Charlie's right. academy has been, and, you know, I, I brought Charlie because I've, I've seen Charlie almost from a distance. We would say hello for all the mm. years. Really, were you know we weren't socializing or whatever, but uh, I think he's high quality and has the right intentions. Not everyone out there, as a coach or whatever, has the right intentions, and uh, that's what you, we need more of the Charlies to you know help this sport. And uh, and I think you know his intentions are pure and. Um, He's had a lot of positive effect on a lot of, a lot of players, and uh, absolutely, and, and that and that bodes well, you know, for the West Coast. It bodes well for U.S. squash, and uh, I just think, uh, I, I mean, this is because again, it, it was always taboo about West Coast squash. Not many people knew, you know, what was going on out there, and I mean, I don't think it's it's at the level yet as East Coast, but it's really made so many leaps and bounds and uh mm. really putting itself on the map and i don't know i think mm. the potential i mean you have so much potential out there it's like you have this big easel that you can you know you can do w- almost whatever you want and uh which is mm. which is so nice um zane mm. what you have anything you have any um maybe advice for a younger player you know now that you're national champion they probably want to <laughs> hear a couple things on 
you know, what you've learned and or some of the mistakes you made maybe early on that you think would be helpful to, a, you know, a new player coming up? I think I think one big thing is I think you guys touched on it, touched on it a bit earlier was um, about this, like this concept of early success. I think I think uh, a lot of kids that I talk to here as well at the club, they get you know frustrated because um, they feel like they're really putting in the work and they're really working hard and they're really you know and and some of them they are you know and 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 I, and I get it it doesn't work sometimes i've I've been there and I think that that's good perspective to know that you just keep going and it, and it does work like I promise it does work if you really are putting in that hard work and you really are putting in that session and you really are disciplined to do it on your own and you put in those extra sessions, as Charlie said, you know, um, I think, I think it's just, I, I think it works every time. I, 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 I've, I've very rarely seen a time where you do all, you, you put in all the work and, 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 and look, that, that requires more than even just the extra sessions. That's, stuff you do at home do you watch the film do you think about it do you do you do you really put that put your own thought into your own game and 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 all those kind of things there's a lot of off court out of the gym not physical kind of mental things that is part of that work and i i think if you're doing that i mean you may not feel that you may not feel that improvement immediately you may not see the results for a while like you really may not i mean i've had a season under 13 uh, my down year, I think I won one first round match that whole year in every in the JCGs, right? And it's like I've been there. I, I know it, but it does work. It, it really does work, and you just have to keep going. And I've seen kids who are much more talented than me who get frustrated because it's not coming together, and it's not, and it's not, and, and it's not clicking, and the results aren't coming, or all those kind of things. But it's just like, look. I mean, especially when, especially for those younger kids, right? I mean, you have time; it will happen. You just kind of got to keep going because, and, you know, and it's a it's a very long road. I mean, if you start at mm. nine years old, yeah, by the time you're, you know, in the U nineteen, that's ten years. So much happens in ten years, and so there's no rush. You know, develop, you know, good technique, have fun. And you'll progress. And then when it's time to really put the efforts in and the fitness and all, if that's what you want to do, and then it's sky's the limit. And uh, and not only is that 10 years, those are uh, an exceptional 10 years. I mean, those are 10 very important years, uh, 10 very formative years. I I, Mm. I totally, I mean, those were the best. I mean, Morgan and I, I mean, I look back on those times traveling all over the place and just, I mean, he was so small and we were like in this big king size bed. To, I mean, those were and having dinner and all the meals together. You can't duplicate that. It was such a good time in my life. And uh, so it's mm. just it, but it's a really long road and you don't need to be a top player when you're that young. Yeah. And it, it really I, most, 99 percent of the time, it doesn't bode well for you because I, I, I mean, do you at think least so? that's where I view it. Uh, do you really think so? Because I mean, I understand your point, and I agree. There's a lot of there are some advantages from coming not starting at the top and moving up. But I don't know. I've never done this, but I suspect if you look, if you took a snapshot of the top five kids or top ten kids in the U13s at any given time, and then compare it to when they're 19s, it's not going to look 
terribly different. No, it is. It is different, though. Yeah, it really is. I I don't want to really mention any names, but Morgan Spears, (laughs) he had a very strong class and uh, he was chopping a bunch of them early. I mean, he was chopping them. And now today it's, it's a different story. And, you know, but I mean, they're all great players. I mean, they're just at different points in their career now. And uh, it's, you know, I do think it, it does play, you know, I think there's more um, drive and, you know, when you don't have the, your early six, you know, success, and I think you become a little laissez-faire maybe, and uh, it's harder. And there's some players, I, I mean, I don't like to mention it, you know, but there's other players that, you know, went on and had stellar, you know, junior squash careers and they get to college and you're just burnt out. And it's like, sure. un, like that, it's, that definitely happens. That's huge because mm. you finally get into the school. Maybe you, you wanted to go to, you were heavily recruited and then you get there and you just have nothing <laughs> left in the tank. Yeah, so maybe I should have said you 17. Yeah, that's true. I, mean, I really think that's so true. Yeah. Even in, even in my division, I, I think the kids who are at the top right now, they were not at the top. Like I remember, I, I will, I will take one name here. I don't think you'll mind. Uh, I remember Mirror. Uh, 13, no, not Miro under 13 down year. Um, uh, Rishi and I played Rishi Srivastava and I played, uh, first round match went to five in the Baltimore JCT and he beat me in five. And I was like, his first round match, but we'd always like be in the console together. And like, it would, it would you know, this is kind of what it was. And then you fast forward and we're playing JCT semifinals all of last season, national finals last season. Like, you know, a lot of those things kind of change. And um, I think I, I've seen it with so many different kids this year as well. Um, where it was a great example of this. Yeah, we're now, now, I think now this kind of 17s moving into 19s kind of stage is where you're seeing those kids who have, I mean, that I'm one of those who have not necessarily been the outstanding players in the, in the formative years now kind of coming out to do great things. So yeah, I think there is a huge difference now. And- I, I I just think I mean, I mean, and some can. I mean, look, the Amanda Sobo, she started Amanda, whatever, and Sabrina. Yeah, obviously they had all the success, all the like, all the way through. And but it's very, it's sort of rare that you can maintain that intensity at the whole the whole time. There's a lot of bumps, and I mean, and 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 we're not even talking about like injuries and things like that. I mean, there's just a lot of factors. But um, hmm. so, Charlie, is there anything else you'd like to say as uh, we sort of wrap yeah. this up? Uh, I mean, I the think, things uh, that we didn't touch upon that you think are important for the audience to, you know, maybe, hmm. you know, that they a little think, tidbit they may not get normally from a guy like you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that touching on the West Coast side of things, I think what people don't necessarily think it's they think it's all crazy hard work it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun that goes into it you know like the kids come to the program and they come to the club because it's fun and that's where their friends are and that's where they get to play the sport they love and I think that's the missing piece to the pie because people think there's this golden you know What's the trick you do? What's and I'm not saying we're the best program because there is and so many better programs out there. But I think we have the we have the best program for 
players love the game. I think everyone in the program, uh, CJSA, loves squash. And they are. it's 100% coming from them because I wouldn't want it to come any other way. You know, I hate having the parents at the back of the court, you know, like walking on the court and trying to understand. It's like, I'm not trying to give you the lesson. I'm tr- kids <laughs> getting the lesson right. here. But I think making it fun is the most important thing. You know, we take the kids out to paintball or we go mini golf or we have team dinners and we go get, you know, dinner after academy or the kids, you know, meet up outside of academy or the club. And I think that's the most important thing because when they're on court, they can be competitors and they can separate that. But when they're coming off court, it's just that environment means they come here more, which means they spend more time at the courts, which means they get better and it's happening naturally and it's just evolving. I, I, I th- that's you know, the key. And I do think it's like, I always felt like for Morgan, it was a, a place where you can go and forget about everything else. You, had a, you, mm. you have your friends, you're playing a, a sport that you love and everything else just sort of fizzles out and goes away for that time that you're in the club. And that's you. Mm. And you own that, and, and, and that is a great feeling. And uh, yeah. I think that's what you know. Squash needs to foster, you know, and, mm. and allow you know. And I think that will also inadvertently help grow the game. You know, when it's not yeah. even like a, a, it's not even a thought. It's just a feeling you get when you come to the club and you want to play yeah. and you enjoy it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think something that makes me feel really proud is I'm really passionate about the game and hopefully my passion um, gets transferred into them being passionate. But what makes me really proud is when they speak really highly about what they're doing and how proud they are about training hard or being competitive about, you know, we've got a chat. We always have little fun challenges this week. Um, we've got a court sprint challenge that I got from Luke Butterworth mm. and, People like, but that's the fun also within the coaching world of it. Like, I think other programs, you know, I'm really happy when Luke does well or when um, Squash does really well. <laughs> yeah. Or um, and Squash because they're just raising the bar and you either you have to go with it or you get left behind. And the kids should understand the same as we see that as coaches. We're only going to make each other better. But if we can see that in Squash side of things as well, when the kids, from our academy, stop looking at each other as I'm playing. My rival is each other. You know, when West Coast kid West plays West Coast kid, I don't believe that is a rivalry because, you know, we've got the chip on our shoulder that it's us against them. And we've <laughs> always got that tougher. Um, it's your family. It, I mean, it's family. Yeah. It's different. It's, yeah. It's, it, but it's tough for us to go East and play that side of, um, the environment's all against you. So it, it, it means it's harder for us, but also it, if it doesn't come from the kids and you're doing all that hard work, it's probably not going to work as well. So the most important thing for the West Coast players is to be inspired because you've got to do it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, but you know something, an example is, I think, you know, over time it's going to change. Here, here we have Zane, national champion. That's going to, you know, they're not going to want to face these West Coast guys when they know what's coming down the pike or, you know, what's happening today. I mean, mm. it's it's definitely changing. It's just, you know, like anything else, it's, you know, squash was in a little precarious position, I thought, pre-COVID. And uh, I think 
you know, opening up the Specter Center. A lot of different things happened post-COVID. College squash mm. has been phenomenal. There's now so mm. much parity. It's a lot of fun. And I think that's very mm. helpful. And uh, so I think- I think college squash is it, getting fun. Yeah, squash is heading in a, in a pretty good spot. I And I always thought, you know, when, when maybe the like the Michigans and the Duke and uh, some mm. other of these big schools confer from a club squash program to a varsity program, squash could just go crazy, especially mm. in the college ranks. And uh, yeah. I mean, look, you're not going to always want to go to an Ivy League. But most, a lot of kids may want to go to a Michigan that are the top mm. players or Duke yeah. or in a Chapel Hill or whatever. But at this point, they don't, you know, the top kids don't want to play club club squash. But if mm. they convert, I think it could change the whole landscape. And mm. uh, But as long could, as they're playing squash somewhere, I yeah. think that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter whether you're playing at Harvard or you're playing at, at any school. It's, it's about, you know, being passionate about what you're doing. And I think that's the really important thing to teach these kids is to be passionate about something. And if they find what they love, they'll be good at it. And it's hopefully, you know, all the kids here, they love what they do. So they're hopefully going to be all in. And then that will lead to one thing to another. I think it's uh, we're heading, especially for the West, heading in the right direction, which is, which is mm. great. And um, so just to finish this up, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I just want to say thank you for having me. Uh, I think I've had a great time doing this. I think it's been awesome to be able to talk about West Coast Wash and the how far we've come in the direction we're going. And uh, yeah, I think this has been a great opportunity. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, and uh, my great hope is I haven't embarrassed my children too much. So uh, please be I, I don't think so. I'm, 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 the one, I'm the one who has to worry about that, not you. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, you know, Michael. It's uh, I know it's not easy. And, and you know, it, there's a, so much that goes into it. And uh I don't know if our kids really will get it till they become parents and if they have a player or whatever, but I mean, just, I mean, not only the, you're the, you're the conduit to everything. And, uh, there's all so much to it. There's a growth and you learn yet you're vital and, uh, you're providing an opportunity that they'll have for life. And I mean, it's such a good gift that you're giving your kids, I think is amazing. Uh, I'm going to guess Morgan appreciates you much more and what you've done. No, 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 not yet. Maybe I think, I I mean, I think he appreciates it, but I mean, I think uh, he's still in the thick of things. So it's, you know, it's, it's Mm. all good, but uh, relative to at least when he was a junior senior. Oh yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I learned a lot. And uh, you know, when you have that early, early, that early success, all you know is you want to just keep feeding it. And that, you know, may not be the right formula. You know, it's, it has to, again, come from the player, which we, we talked about, uh, you know, a lot. But uh, there's just it's just very complicated. Yet, you know, I think the, the gist of it all is ki- the kids are happy. They feel good in their own skin. They can, you know, enjoy the game. There's nothing better than that. And that's a gift better than any money that you can give a child or any. You're giving mm-hmm. them the gift of squash which is, I think, just an incredible thing for life. And uh, mm. so, uh, mm. Charlie, I'll let you wrap it up. Uh, Bruce, it's been a pleasure today uh, talking West Coast Squash with you. Thank you so much for having us on. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's just been so much fun. And uh, I really appreciate all you do for the squash community. And podcast is uh, 
yeah, big, big time. I uh, love it. And thank you so much for all you do for the game as well, fella. All right. Well, guys, enjoy the holidays and uh, Zane, mm. whatever you do in the next couple of years, you're going to kill it. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thing. And uh, thank you for, again, for everything. It's been, it's been fun and uh, we'll let you go. So uh, perfect. Enjoy. Uh, thank you. Thank All you right. guys. All right. A lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks Bruce. Bye-bye you, fella. I would be really remiss if I didn't mention three players, and I'm sure there's others out there that have had the same effect, but these are the ones I know. Um, Gabriel Morgan, Cole Becker, and Branston Ming. These gentlemen had very significant junior careers as well as really killed it in, in college squash. There's one other player that I would like to acknowledge, and that's Dylan Wong, who is finishing up his career at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, Dylan was and still is a peer of my son's. He is actually um, playing in the qualifying rounds at the TOC to get into the main draw, which will occur in the next couple of weeks. So we wish Dylan the best of luck. you for listening to the Two Dot Chronicles, hosted by Bruce Huberman and Miles McIntyre as themselves. The show is produced and engineered by me, James Spavelko. Theme song and incidental music created by Spavelko Music Services. Have a question, suggestion, or just want to say hello? Drop us a message at 908-977-6481 or send us an email at two.media at gmail.com. That's T-W-O-D-O-T-M-E-D-I-A. It may be featured in a future episode. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the Two Dot Chronicles. We upload a new episode every month. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts.